Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. We explored the topic of branding in a past episode with Jonathan Salem-Baskin, and he made the point that brands were dead, because basically we, know we don't need brands anymore since we can go right to the company, contact the right person in, inside this business, thanks to internet, and that basically brands were dead. That is the main point. You can check out this episode by just searching brands are dead, everyone hates marketers on Google. But today, we are going to talk about why you should care about branding and brand in general, and why millennials in particular should care about it in this digital world. So my guest today is a senior marketing and brand expert. He is based in, in Silicon Valley. He worked for Apple. He created a $1 billion integrated marketing agency in Silicon Valley. Uh, he helped and launched marketing activities for Adobe, for McAfee, for Yahoo, Amazon. And now he works for the San Diego State University, helping students to start their own companies. And finally, he's the author of Brands and Bullshit, Excel at the Former and Avoid the Latter. So Bernie Schroeder, welcome aboard. Louis, thanks for having me. Right, let's get started straight away. So you're making the point that millennials in particular don't understand brand or the customer well enough, and which leads to marketing being kind of mindless chatter. And you believe that a millennial in particular, millennial marketers in particular, suffer from this problem. Can you tell us more about this? And first of all, let's define what millennial means. Uh, millennial, from my definition, and I'll use the standard definition of people between the ages of 18 and 35, um, the reason they're suffering from the problem is because they've not been classically trained in understanding marketing or understanding branding. Um, with the rapid rise of digital marketing, it meant that, you know, that you, Louis, in an apartment could start a digital marketing company. You could be 20 years old. You could be 22 years old. You could completely ignore branding. You could ignore strategy. And you could say, I know how to do Google AdWords. I know how to build a website. And you could start consulting with clients. And so what's happened is an entire generation of marketers has missed the classical training that traditional marketing provided either in agencies or in, uh, let's say, retail brands. Uh, and they skipped right to digital. So it's not that the millennials aren't smart. They're smart. Uh, they're just not trained. Uh, and I think that's why they produce so much mindless chatter. I can create an AdWords campaign, so I will. What's the strategy? Just make noise. Great. Yeah, exactly. Right. There's one one thing I want to clarify first before we go on. Before we go on, I've I've heard this term millennial so many times that it's just giving me a hard time. And I know a few listeners are, are suffering from this exact problem, right? So I'm going to try to ignore it every time you talk about it. But basically, okay. no, I'm only, I'm only trying to, to, to mess with your, with your mind right now. I am a millennial as per your definition, but mm -hmm. I guess this group of people is so wide in terms of culture, in terms of influence that I find it difficult sometimes to, to group them together. What do you think okay. of that? 
I don't disagree. I mean, I see the way it's being used. I remember when people started using the phrase baby boomers in the Mm. 80s, saying, oh, this is the biggest economic group that's ever been assembled. They hold 90% of the world's wealth. And for a while, I was like, that's just bullshit. Like, how do you typify an entire generation? Uh, I think it's just happened. I mean, this this age we're in is an age of easy classification. And so the whole millennial thing was probably created by marketers and it became a term associated with some noise about marketing uh, and it became easy. I see the people that rail against it and say, well, you should segment these groups. You should really look at them. You should understand them. I, I like this age group. I wish I was in this age group, not because of the age group, but because of the crazy potential to do amazing work if you know what you're doing yeah i get that right so can you tell us again the 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 age bracket uh of millennial for for me it's uh i'm not even going to go 18 to to 35 i'm going to say for the people that i know and the people i'm mentoring I'd, i'd say it's probably more 25 to 32 okay so from chatting to from chatting to a lot of listeners recently and, and receiving emails, I can I can see that a lot of them are in this age group. But if you're not, you don't have to leave this episode and, and think it's not for you. We're going to talk about branding, the definition of branding, why does it matter, and how to create a brand, a real brand, so that you can get customers and leads uh, thanks to that. So even if you're not a millennial per se, you will definitely get a lot of value from this episode. So now you've explained briefly the problem that, 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 that this has, but let's dig a, a bit deeper into the problem. What are the kind of the symptoms that a lack of branding brings in your business? Should it be a small business or even a medium-sized business or a startup? I'll give you a great example. There's a, an agency that I helped start with a San Diego State student about seven years ago. Uh, he stole a client from his current agency, and I stole a client from another agency for him. So overnight, he was a $15,000 a month agency. Um, this last year, they went over $10 million in revenue. Um, when I saw him last, uh, he was telling me that they just landed a new client and that they picked up $150,000 of some content and some AdWords business. And I said, that's great. I know that client. And he says, well, how do you know them? I said, I meet regularly with the CEO and talk about where we're going in terms of strategy. I said, did you meet with the VP of marketing? He said, no. I said, did you meet with the director of marketing? He said, no. I said, who did you meet with? He goes, I met with the manager of digital marketing. I go, great. You're having conversations with managers of digital marketing to do tactical work. And I'm having dinner with the CEO to determine the strategy for the next five years. Do you see the difference? And he just looked at me and he said, I get it. I get it. I need to figure out how to move up to, to a more strategic level. So this this is what I see a lot of. Um, you know, younger digital shops, I don't even know, Louis, if they're aware uh, of the fact that they're engaged in tactical decisions and not with strategists at that company. But why, why is it a problem if they're making 10 million a year then? Yeah, I agree. So they're making 10 million a year in what I call transaction revenue. And transaction revenue means that as soon as someone else in the marketplace can copy your transaction and do it at a, at, at a better price, Uh, then it's a law of diminishing returns. As more agencies grow and they start to compete for these dollars, uh, they will look alike. And so what will separate them? And what I've been advising the people that I'm mentoring is it's the strategy. 
and the brand building capability that will differentiate will differentiate you. So the, it, the, it's a great time in the last five years, Louis. It might be a great time in the next three years. But after that, I think you're going to see a shakeout amongst the agencies and the people that are just good at transactions that will go to AI and automation and the people that are strategists, they will grow. And beside the agency world, uh, even if a lot of listeners are, are, are from this particular uh, vertical, outside of that, for startups and small business or even larger business, why is it a problem to not have branding or not focusing on strategy and just focusing on tactics? Yeah, it's great. So I was on a phone call on Monday with a $400 million company in Dallas, Texas. Um, they had gotten to, it's a tech company. They had gotten to 400 million very, very quickly. And now they're stalled because they have a lot of competition. So the current CEO asked the VP of marketing, who's a tactical marketer. She's never done brand strategy. The brand has been built by default. With this competition and the pressure they're facing, the CEO has turned to the VP of marketing and said, we need to do a better job of branding. She doesn't know what branding is, Louie. She's grown up in a tech company that's grown rapidly, and all they did was tactical sales and marketing. So now she's in an environment where their company's being attacked by two types of competitors, the larger IBMs and the smaller, nimbler companies that are coming behind them, and they never built a brand. So now their customers don't know why they should stay with them. And so she's now scrambling, calling me saying, can you help us you know, select a branding agency? And I said, to do what? And she said, well, to build our brand. I go, do you guys, from the CEO down, do you guys even know what that means? And there was a momentary pause, and she said, no. So what is a brand? I think a brand, at its simplest definition, is something that you have an intrinsic, emotional, or trusting feeling that that brand is better, for whatever reason, than an alternative in the marketplace. Uh, and it's a very emotional feeling, isn't it? And you're talking about feeling, which, which I like, because that's what people feel. It's, it's, it's true. When I think about it, sometimes, you know, I would go on a website... I would uh, I would compare to competitors like to, to to choose a solution between the two and I have a feeling that one of them is better. I can't I cannot pinpoint exactly why I trust this one better, but I do. And I would then take this decision to choose them over overall. And I've also realized something recently. I when I was a young boy, I used to watch this particular TV show on on this French channel um and the weather forecast was always uh, displayed before that. And there was this sponsor on this weather uh, channel called uh, Darty, which is a, a kind of a TV computer shop uh, that just sponsored the weather channel, the weather forecast for like so many years just before my TV show. And for some weird reason, they just sponsored it, right? They, that's the only thing they talked about was just the Darty and, and the fact that you should trust them because they are the best. And years and years after, I naturally went to this shop without even thinking about others because I just, I just was wired to think about it. And I, it really, really came to me after that. I realized that the only reason why I did that was because they managed to, to get my trust over, over years and years. And their brand was top of mind for me. We only have room, Louis, 
for three brands in any category ladder in our mind. If I say jeans, you're going to say three. If I say car rental, you're going to say three. If I say coffee, chocolate, it doesn't matter. You're going to say the top three that come into your mind. Um, And if you don't understand that consumers have ladders for everything they purchase or consider in their mind and that there's got to be a trusting or emotional preference, then as a marketer, I don't know what you're doing. Yep, exactly. Right. So in this episode, let's go into a step-by-step process that people can use in order okay. to to either use a brand they already have and leverage the, the benefits uh, better or at least trying to create a brand from when they're starting up, like starting a new startup or new products, starting to think about this feeling that you want people to have. So okay. How would you go about, you gave this example actually of your, of this person reach out to you in a panic because she realized she needed a brand. Um, for, for this type of company, how, how does it work? How do you go about making sure that there is a good brand behind all of that? Can I, can I use, um, the early days of Amazon to explain this to you? Of course. So when, um, Jeff called us, and asked us if we wanted to be an agency for consideration. I think it was late 95. I didn't even know who Amazon was. I was busy working on several other uh, household name accounts. And long story short, we became their first agency. And when we met with Jeff, um, I said, uh, you know, in terms of the book business, how many booksellers are online? And at the time, there was only about 40 tiny ones. So he said, well, don't you think my competition is Barnes and Noble and Borders? And I said, we can't go up against them because it would be a direct assault. So we have to find a ladder we can claim as our own and be a leader on that ladder. So he said, what do you think that ladder is? And I said, the ladder is online bookseller because Barnes and Noble and Borders do not have websites yet. So we are not going to play with them on their playing field. They're going to have to come to our playing field. So we're going to be, we're going to position ourselves very, very quickly as the world's largest online bookseller, because he had told me he was not going to offer the books for less. So we were not going to be competing on price. So I said, well, what the hell are we going to be competing on? And he said, I don't know yet. And I said, okay, let me go study what customers will trust if you're only going to be delivering product through the internet and they're never going to meet you. So for about two months, Louis, we struggled as an agency from a branding perspective to figure out how to brand them to be a leader as a startup in an emerging space against known competitors. Um, and we asked ourselves one day as we were struggling, you know, who who delights us? Like if Amazon, if you order a book on Amazon and it actually arrives at your home, it's kind of an amazing thing at that time period. It's kind of a little delight. So we were like, well, who the hell delights us? And after a little bit of brainstorming, we decided that concierges at small boutique hotels delight us. They, they remember us when we come back. They greet us. They get things for us. They make re- recommendations for restaurants. So what we did is we created a sheet for Jeff of 19 things that we felt the Amazon site needed to do. It needed to remember people. It needed to make recommendations. It needed to allow reviews. It needed, it needed, it needed, it needed. And we gave him all of that. We said, can you program this into the website? And he said, yes, I can. I said, good. 
And then when it got programmed in the website and their capabilities were this trusting, you know, kind of service, uh, then when we came out with the advertising, we used humor to position ourselves at a large scale. Our first campaign was, uh, here's an example, 681 books on golf, 912 on divorce, <laughs> Amazon, Earth's biggest bookstore. And we ran those strip ads uh, in all of the financial sections of all of the major newspapers initially in the United States. And when I say a strip ad, I mean a one inch by 10 inch strip ad. It was very inexpensive. And we used the entire breadth and width of all of the niche categories to demonstrate that if there was any arcane subject in the world on books, Amazon had it. And very quickly, we became number one in the online bookstore ladder, and it just started to explode from there with the feeling that Amazon knew what people wanted if they were looking for books. And that's how we started it. Right. So this is a fantastic story, and I can't help but trying to break it, break down the steps that you use because this is okay. what the listeners want. So let's let's take a step back. Right? Let's forget about Amazon for now and think about a uh, another a, a business that you would give advice to uh, when it comes to, to the branding thing. So the first, okay. the very first thing you mentioned is this idea of a ladder and creating a category almost. So would you recommend that the very first step that any business or startup take when it comes to that is, is to pick their category, to pick no. their position? No. Not exactly. The very first step, let's go back to this example in Dallas. The very first step is I would try to figure out how that current company is perceived in the marketplace by their customers. So I would go seek out uh, what I call customer truth, not the bullshit that the client's going to tell me, but I would ask for uh, a list of their top 100 customers, and then I would not tell them who I'm going to go talk to. Then I would go talk to some of them, and then I would go visit competitors as well and not tell those people I'm working for that brand. Within 30 days, I'm going to understand why people are buying from this company, so I'm going to understand the truth. Okay. Once I understand let the me, truth... Let me step you right okay? there, because it's, okay? you're saying so many interesting things that we need to break them down. So you would select the top customers, top 100, you will yep. also identify the competitors. Will you yep. identify direct competitors or like alternatives type of competitors? How will it you go about this? I would start with, with their known direct competitors. And in my research, I would probably discover uh, some edge competitors as well. Um, but I want to understand who the players are in the marketplace. I'm also going to pull a trend report on what's going on in the marketplace. You know, is, is cloud software going up? Is it going sideways? I don't believe what customers tell me, Louie. I don't mean that as a negative, but I don't believe them. They're so close to everything. I would go visit analysts as well. I realize I'm spewing stuff out, but you cannot believe what a client tells you. Um, they're too close to their own battlefield. You have to have somebody that can step back and, and almost have a five-year horizon, yes. a one-year to five-year, and say, look, you're running here, but the market's shifting. So getting at um, what's going on in the marketplace and determining how customers are viewing them is, is the customer truth part. Okay. So you, you use the word customer, uh, and I think that that would have been confusing because you meant client uh, when you said uh, you don't trust what customer says. You mean like you don't trust what company That's is. correct. Right. That's correct. However, you do trust what the, their customer will tell you if you're asking the right questions. 
I do, and I don't trust that they know everything. I have a saying in uh, in my book that customers um, are 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 not always right, but they're never wrong. Uh, in other words. A customer can't tell you what the exact solution looks like that they want from your company potentially, but they can tell you what they don't want. Yeah. And they, yeah. they can tell you the problems they suffer from very vividly and they can describe exactly. the situations they are in and, and where they live and all of that. Right. So let's break it down. So top customers, you would also identify competitors. So that's step one, step two. Step three, you would also look at trend reports and talk to analysts. Explain that, explain that to me like I'm five. What, what is a trend report and how can people easily get access uh, to those type of resources? So, I mean, one, you can Google your ass off. I mean, you can Google anything on any industry and see if any analyst or any other researchers put data up on trends. There's also a great website called Trend Hunter uh, where, you, where they assemble trend data. I also have set up about 30 Google alerts for myself where I'm looking at specific keywords and Google sends me an email every week on any new information that's arrived at the internet. I also read a lot. And so I use a confluence of information gathering all the time so that I'm paying attention to the key trends that are shifting. Why, why should you care about the trends that are shifting? Because you know, if, if you're not aware that a certain type of wireless security is moving across IoT devices and you're, you're counseling or advising people on what they should be doing in a land, you know, line type based scenario, they're going to miss an entire market. And so I, I like to understand where trends are going to cross markets, that's people, and industries at almost the same time. And a classic example of that would be Uber. Okay. Um, I always make the point in this podcast that, you know, marketers suffer from a lot of like inf information overload. And this is why I tend not to read and care about trends too much, because I mm -hmm. believe that, you know, if you do your research well with customers, usually you can pick them up as well. What would you say to this comment? I wouldn't agree with you on that comment. I, I meet with a lot of clients still. I still do consulting on the side. And when I talk about three trends that are coming together at the same time in their industry or across their market, they might be aware of one of them, but they're not looking. For example, if I'm meeting with a retail food company, they're not paying attention perhaps to an IT or technology trend that's actually changing how their product might be delivered. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I like, I like the confluence of trends. Interesting. So step one, two, and three, we already really talked about, and then you started mm -hmm. to talk about, you would go to talk to, to their customers, right? And yep. what, how would you go about it? And what type of questions are you asking? Um, I'm asking questions that are simple, Louis. I, I think most times we really complicate. I think people ask uh, heavily worded questions to show people how smart they are. I like to ask really question, simple questions like, you know, what's your biggest sales challenge as a CEO of the company? What keeps you up at night? You know, what are the two things that are occurring in your industry that could destroy you? Uh, what's the one opportunity that could absolutely accelerate you? Um, you know, I ask simple questions and eventually, and I don't ask a question like what software do you use? How do you rank the software? I'm looking at what they're trying to do strategically and eventually I'll understand 
how this company's software product helps them tactically, but I want to make the brand stand out at a strategic level. So I need to find out higher levels of pain. Okay. But for that's very B2B oriented, right? And, and almost large businesses. But let's say mm-hmm. if I have a business that sells to, to, to consumers, to, to, to customers, what type of questions or what type of things rather would you like to, to find out? You know, one of the things I do when it's when it's um, when there's an opportunity to engage with customers, I do something called an uh, I do a lot of observation labs and I do a lot of what I call mystery shopping. So if you hired me and you had a retail store or you had a website, I would try to figure out how to watch what consumers do. I'd either be watching them on the website through path analysis or something else, or I'd go into a physical environment and I'd watch them. What do they do? How do they come in? Are they lost? Is it clear? Where do they go first? Where do they go second? And eventually I might intercept a few that appear to be wandering or buy directly. And I say, why did you walk in and buy that exactly directly? Or why are you wandering and not finding what you want? And I find that a lot of marketers do not do any type of observation lab at all. And they they try to gather quick bites of information, you know, perhaps from online surveys or just what they think they know. Um, like when I meet young marketers today and they have a client, let's say it's a retail client. I say, have you ever talked to a customer of this brand? And they go live. And I go, yeah. They go, no. And I'm like, how do you do what you do then? They go, oh, we have all these surveys and this online shit and this other stuff we buy. And, and I go, but you've never actually talked to a customer who's bought your, your client's product. No. I go, okay. So it, it reminds me of, of basically doing research on the customer journey from a customer perspective, right? How did they find yeah, out? Yeah, I how, agree. How did they find great, out about you? That's uh, a great way to put it, the customer journey. So... I'm, 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 I want to challenge you more on the questions you're asking because you, you said a lot of different type of questions that, that could mm-hmm. be helpful, but let's maybe, can we, can you summarize and identify the top five that are usually helpful that you find are, are lead to the best answers? I don't, I don't have a top five in that way, Louis. I mean, every, every brand and every customer type is different. Um, but I, but I'll tell you this. I rarely ask questions that are more than five words long. They're very, very simple. They're very thread-like. Why, are you, why did you come into the store today? Which brand are you considering? Why are you considering that brand? What is the one thing that that product or brand fulfills? You know, what's your biggest pain point? I mean, I ask simple, simple questions because if I ask questions that are too long, they're leading. So I don't know where the thread's going sometimes. So I find the simpler the question, the more I can go a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, and I open up the customer slowly. Yeah, I I like it uh, very much. And this is something we talked about in this podcast before about the, the, the need to ask open-ended questions, the need to be, to act as if you're a journalist, not a, a salesperson. You're not trying to sell anything when you do this. You're trying to understand them deeply. So why are you buying from us? Uh, what alternatives are you considering? What made you purchase from us? What almost stopped you from purchasing from us? Uh, those are the questions that lend to the, tend to, to be the, the best answers. So you would do this exercise, right? And, mm-hmm. How do you make sense of all of the data you gathered? Well, I have to simplify it for the senior executives. Trust me. I have to simplify it down to a competitive landscape. Uh, I might do a marketplace grid 
which is just a horizontal and a vertical axis around the two most important things, one important thing on the vertical, one important thing on the horizontal for customers in that marketplace. Then I place the competitors and the brand I'm working for on that grid. And then I tell them, this is where you are. I don't give a shit if you (laughs) like it or don't. This is where you are now. Here's an open spot in the market if we move up and left. Your competitors see it. The market is growing. Income is growing for that particular customer. Do we want to stay where we are and solidify our position? Or do we want to move you know, slightly up and over in the right quadrant? Because I believe there's a $3 billion opportunity if we move toward that quadrant position before anyone else does. Now, what do you want to do from a strategic point of view? Defend where you are? Or do you want to, what I call, you know, do you want to head a little bit toward a blue ocean where you can, you know, be more of a dominant leader in perhaps a niche category inside this market? And so those are the kind of conversations I start to have with senior management. How do you identify the two axes? So you said the two important things. From, from, from the customers. Right. So for Amazon, what were the two most important things? I think the two most important things uh, ultimately were, uh, if you think about the early days of the internet, one had to be trust and, and the other had to be, um, you know, just ease, ease of use. Because people were scared to buy stuff on on the internet. And for us at a very starting, we had to say ease of use, we have to have one click. They have to come back and not re-register themselves. And then two, we need to get them to trust us on everything. But yet in in the ads uh, example, you you told me, you you mentioned uh, the, 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 the sheer volume mm-hmm. the sheer quantity yeah. of, uh, of of different books right which is a, yet yeah. another value proposition isn't it yeah so we used the width and the breadth of the selection simply to make them stand out in the marketplace i can't ask you to trust me when you don't even know who i am so i have to make myself look like the world's largest bookstore then when you buy from me you go wow it was really easy wow they delivered it i trust these guys so this is an important thing, right? You cannot trust a company or someone if you don't know this person, or if you don't know this company, and if you've never experienced anything from them before, which is why I completely failed my first business three or four years ago when I started, when nobody knew me, I had no credibility, nobody trusted me, therefore, and I tried to, to sell some high-end consulting, uh, marketing consulting services. Uh, to hmm. companies, and this what this is one. This is why ultimately it failed, right? Uh, so I've learned my lesson. But this is it. To build trust, you must you must raise awareness first, and and and, and take your time because it takes time, doesn't it? It's like uh, not to not to sound like I'm uh, I'm a, I'm a male uh, on this phone call, but it's like dating. You know, when I first meet you somewhere, and and I want to get to know you better, I'm not gonna, you know, be super aggressive and that you know nothing about me. And so, uh, you move carefully, you move slowly, you build trust in the same way. You're you're actually, honestly, Louis, in the same way, but quite different. You're building a relationship and you can choose to say, I don't give a shit about building relationships with customers. I just want to sell them crap. But if you take a relationship mentality, you won't do shit marketing. Yep. Agreed with you. And and this is this is what we are trying to fight against. It's like if you have a good product that does good, that is actually helping people, 
you're, you will do good marketing. However, if you're trying to sell them crap, then, then you're going to turn into like a bad, bad marketing. You're going to do shitty marketing, shady marketing, aggressive marketing, and that's gonna, not going to work in the long term. And, 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 and it's not, doesn't even have to be crap, Louie. Let's say the company makes a really good product or they have a really good service, but you're coming on so hard, so aggressive. Uh, it just looks like a sales play and in from a long-term perspective. And that's another thing that I don't see digital marketers doing. They don't take a long-term view. You and I, Louie, I think we know how quickly three to five years goes by. If you take the time and build an amazing brand, it is defensible when the market heats up. If you just go out and get sales and someone else says, yeah, I like those guys, but oh, that's on sale. Uh, You're not in a defensible position when the market heats up and competitors come. Right. So we stopped at talking about the the competitive landscape and identify the two most important things in each axis and and trying to get the decision of whether you want to defend this position, whether you want to move up or or left or right and, and, and trying to to basically be considered by customers as the leader of the category you're trying, uh, you're in, right? Um, mm-hmm. What is the next step then to to have this brand that we can be well, proud of? The, the next step, um, if if senior management agrees on a strategy, actually at at the highest level, um, yes, we want to move or yes, we want to defend. Then we look at the current. All of the current communications, uh, we do almost like a, let's call it a communications analysis. And I would put everything on the floor that the company communicates. Uh, I would print out web pages. I would put business cards. Everything the company uses to be visual, I would put it on the floor. And I would say, okay, if we've agreed that this is where we're going or what we're going to do, is what you've been doing, does it communicate that in a leadership position? And does it position you in the right category? And based on that, it's either yes or no. And if it's no, then we say, great, we're, we're starting over. We're going to create a refresh of the brand. We're going to re- recreate a stronger positioning. We're going to recreate all the communication materials, and it's all going to sync up with exactly what our strategic goal is. And then it just falls down like a waterfall from there. So your strategy, the strategy you choose with, with, with leadership, fuels the rest. And I had a few conversations with customer experience specialists and experts, and, and they basically said the exact same thing than you, which is obviously a, a good thing. But it seems like experience, branding, marketing, communication, strategy, I mean, all of that is basically the same thing. I, I would define it as just good marketing, right? And you might okay. disagree that branding and marketing are slightly not the exact same thing, but good marketing starts with a good strategy that feeds into having a good brand that people can trust that feeds the rest that feeds the experience that feeds everything else right correct right so i think we have a a good framework that people can use obviously we can't go that in depth about every single uh, type of businesses and sizes and and marketplace but i think you've given us a lot of resources uh, and things to look up uh, to look up to you definitely taught me a few things in this step by step, especially around the trend and how to watch for that. So that, that was quite interesting. Thanks for playing this, uh, this game. Uh, I know it's not easy to go step by step like this in, uh, in a few minutes. And uh, it's all good. So let's talk about you a bit more. Um, you've, okay. you've mentioned your, your, your experience as a, as a, as a marketer, as a, as a branding expert as well, and, and how mm-hmm. you helped Amazon to become, uh, who they are today. 
I'm curious to know why did you choose to make the move from this type of uh, agency and very high level marketing, very strategic, very impactful marketing to moving on to San Diego State University and, and helping students start companies? Well, when I when I found out I was good at marketing, I, I was in Detroit at the time. I had, by the way, one thing I should tell anyone who's listening, if they don't have a great mentor when it comes to marketing and branding, they will never have the kind of career they can potentially have. I had three mentors that absolutely made my career. Um, when all I wanted to do, Louis, when I found out I was good at marketing, I just wanted to do great marketing. I did really good marketing in Detroit with Ford and Kellogg's. I wanted to go to a bigger arena. So I went to New York and I did marketing for Mercedes and Nikon. Uh, then I started looking around and saying, is this my life? I'm seven years in. I'm really good. If I'm just going to do this for the rest of my life, then I'm not going to do it for the people I work for. I'm going to do it for myself. So I went to Silicon Valley specifically looking for two or three other people that I could build an integrated agency with. I did that. Uh, I, I thought we were just going to build a fun little company, Louie, that we could just work at, have fun, make decent money, and it's a good life. You know, no assholes for employees, no assholes for clients. We do great work. We go home. We play with our children. How the hell was I supposed to know that that message, that positioning message of branding with integrated marketing attached was going to grow into a billion dollar company in six years? I had no idea. So when that happened, I found that we actually as a company started doing shit work. We went through an IPO. We bought 30 other companies. Uh, we merged with a couple of idiots. And all of a sudden, we were a $1.2 billion company, and I was embarrassed by what I was seeing. So when you get to become really, really good at something, I think you have to challenge yourself and say, how good are you? So I left the agency side and went to the client side. I'd never been on the client side. That's what brought me to San Diego, Louis. I, I agreed to turn around a $300 million financial mutual fund type company down here, uh, Money interested me, not from a personal point of view, but from a challenge of how do you separate people from their money and get them to give it to you. And that was very successful. I, I learned that I could step into a company by myself with no one else and turn around a very, very large company. So I did it three more times, different companies. And then I woke up one day and I didn't want to be anyone's uh, money bitch anymore. It had been a good experience. They'd all turned out well, but I thought I'm serving these masters just to fix broken companies and make money. Like there has to be something better. And I asked myself a simple question. When was I the happiest in my career? And I said, whenever I walked on a college campus, because I guess lectured at several colleges. So I, I walked in that morning from the company I had fixed and I resigned. And I, over the next week, I started meeting with deans from different colleges in San Diego. And that's how I arrived at San Diego State. And helping kids start companies with my knowledge of entrepreneurship, branding, and marketing is probably the funnest thing I've done in my life. Well, that's quite a story. Uh, are you happy now? I'm extremely happy, but I'm still, it's crazy, Louie, must be the way I'm wired. I'm still looking for challenges. Um, I still do a little side consulting. It's like, a, it's like I was a top chef, and every now and then I want to wander in the kitchen and see if I can still cook. Yep, 
That's I get the feeling. I get the feeling. And and you've written how many books already? Well, I've just this brands and bullshit is my third book, and I'll be honest, I've never intended to write a book. Uh, but once you write the first one, you actually discover. If you understand that if you write a book, you have to write it for your reader, not you, then it's relatively easy to, to write books. I, I never thought I'd be an author. It's kind of funny. You mentioned mentor and having a mentor as one of the key, mm -hmm. the key, uh, the key advice you would give to marketers and yeah. digital marketers. How would one find a mentor? The first thing you do is you look around in your local market and you say, who is a senior level person in marketing or branding? Do I have a connection to them in LinkedIn? Do I have a connection to them through a university we both went to? Um, And, you know, I would also be going to branding and senior marketing events and networking my ass off um, because finding a mentor, again, is like dating. You can't just walk up to someone and go, will you be my mentor? You have to craft some relationships. Let's say you find someone interesting. Let's say I found you interesting, Louis. Okay. And I, the way I would approach you is um, I would reach out to you and say, can I buy you a cup of coffee? I'm a young marketer. I uh, admire the career you've built and I want to buy you a cup of coffee and I want to pick your brain about what you did right and wrong. So let's say I do that 20 times with 20 senior level marketers or branders in San Diego. Um, and, and I'm only looking to connect with one person ultimately. And I date 20 times and on, on our date, Louis, you and I hit it off. We sense it. There's a chemistry. You lean in and go, I like you, Bernie. Like, where are you working? Oh, I'm working at this little digital shop. Well, we should touch base every now and then because I, I see what you're doing and, and I think you have potential to do other things. So then I make it a point to build my connection with you. I start sending you articles. I start sending you a trend report if I have it. Now it's a glass of wine. Maybe it's dinner and we're connecting. Then one day when I feel we built our relationship, I lay it out there. I go, you know, I'm struggling, Louis. And then you go, how so? You seem pretty sharp. I go, ah, I got this situation or I got this. Let the mentorship begin. <laughs> That's a good, a good summary of what marketing is, isn't it? And, and a yep. good summary of what building relationships and, and trust is. So thanks for that. It's a pretty practical uh, way to, to look at it. There is no hack, once again, to get a mentor or to do anything in marketing or in life. It's all about building trust and taking, taking your time. Yep. yep. Uh, what do you think marketers should learn today? And, and people who are interested in marketing, what do you think they should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years or even 20 years? I think if they just understand that if they're good at marketing, if they like marketing, they have to rise to a strategic level or they'll never get the opportunities they want. They'll be classified as a tactical niche marketer. Oh, that person's just good at AdWords. That person's just good at Instagram. That person's just good at, at you know, whatever content. You need to come upstream and be in the room when strategic conversations are taking place. And so my my advice would be if you're if you love marketing then ask yourself if you want to be a senior strategy marketer and if the answer is yes then you have to put together a plan on how over three to five years you're going to move upstream and become much more strategic and a part of that is really understanding at its core essence what is branding amazing so based on that what are the top three resources you would recommend listeners You know, it's a classic book. I still like, and I found, and no digital marketers I found are reading it. The Art of Positioning 
or the battle for your mind by Reese and Trout. It's a classic. It's so good. Um, I like the brand gap by Marty Newmeyer. I mean, he does a great visual job of explaining, you know, how you build a brand. And because this is going to be a, a, a crazy one, because you're always selling as a marketer, you're selling your ideas, you're selling yourself, you have to know exactly how to do that well. So there was a guy uh, who was who a Xerox trainer. By the way, Xerox at one point uh, in the world had the best sales training programs in the world. And he wrote a book called Spin Selling, and his name is Neil Rackham. And he explained how you sell air and how you gain trust. And when I read that book and went to a workshop, uh, it changed my life. I treated my girlfriend differently. (laughs) Swear to God. I was like, all of a sudden, I was completely a needs-based person, meaning I need to understand your needs. And before I read that book, I could give a shit. I was going to sell you something whether you wanted it or not. That's the, that's a nice introspection right there, I have to say. Uh, but you've, I think you forgot to mention one of a key resource uh, about branding. Uh, it's your book, right? So can you remind us of, of the title? Yeah. And the title is, uh, I wrote the title on purpose. I don't think an editor or publisher might've let me use that title. Um, and it came after a very, very bad meeting with someone I was mentoring who was running a digital agency. I was pissed. I wrote a long LinkedIn article and, um, I've got like a ton of reads and several people said, you should write a book. And I was like, yeah, I should write a book. These, these millennial marketers don't know what the hell they're doing. They're pissing me off. Um, (laughs) So it, it, I, and what I called out in the LinkedIn article was like, this is all just bullshit. Like I'm tired of the bullshit. And so brands and bullshit was born, uh, that day. And it took me two years uh, to, to get up the courage to actually finish it and write it, uh, brands and bullshit, uh, excel at the former, avoid the latter, uh, a branding primer and a primer by classification is a learning aid. So this isn't about me, uh, a branding primer for millennial marketers in a digital age. So Bernie, you've been great. I, I really appreciate your honesty on authenticity in this podcast and you shared very interesting stories and I know listeners have enjoyed this talk as well. So where can they connect with you and learn more from you? Well, I publish regularly on LinkedIn. They should follow me on LinkedIn. I write, I uh, put up a lot of videos. Uh, I put up a lot of really good content. Again, no bullshit. None of it is chest thumping. I make sure that I give a gift uh, on everything I publish. There is something insightful that you can take away on a video that you would watch that I would put up or an article that I've written. Great. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much once again, Bernie, for your time. Louis, it's been a pleasure. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short 
and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always uns unsubscribe for sure, if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet, and we always... Uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing i like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on itunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five-star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.